Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. Yavs Djurjevic here, and today I've got Dr. Kelly Henry with me, the customer experience doctor, retired chiropractor, now consultant in the business space. Uh, really interesting conversation. He had a book come out January 11th, uh, which is called Define and Deliver Exceptional Customer Service, which link below in the podcast description, wherever you get it, iTunes, Spotify, etc. You can click on that. I'll take you to, to the Amazon page. We, uh, we touched some interesting topics. We talked, obviously, about customer service and how to, you know, not only give it the lip service that everybody's giving it, but also to actually provide that actual service, but also how to make sure that you don't let work overcome and completely conquer your life at the expense of your family and particularly your children, especially as a man getting started in, in his career. As always, give the podcast a five-star review, share it with your friends, subscribe. It really helps and all the charts. Uh, you can always check out the new and revamped Instagram at Manhood Pod. You can check out Manhood Pod on YouTube. Going to start putting up some more pertinent uh, videos on there. And without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome to Millennial Manhood. I've got Dr. Kelly Henry here with me. Um, Dr. Kelly, for folks who have no idea who you are, give us a, give us a ten thousand foot view. What's your what's your story? I am a retired chiropractor. I practiced for twenty years, mainly in New Mexico, and uh, built up a couple of clinics, uh, serving my patients. Love doing that, and I built those on the foundation of outstanding customer service. And uh, when I retired, um, I wanted to help other businesses learn and grow from, uh, from my experience in customer service, um, teach them how to utilize it so they could uh, build their businesses as well. And then I've been coached for years, um, 17, 18 years, and I saw the impact of that. So uh, I knew coaching, how important it was. So that's how I meshed those two things together, that coaching aspect and the customer service aspect. And so that's what I, that's what I do now is help businesses grow their customer service by coaching them how to do it. That's interesting. So first of all, side note, my wife grew up in New Mexico and I went there for the first time ever last year and it was like the coolest place ever. I really liked it. We went, we went for the balloon fiesta. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That's an, that's an exciting event. So oddly enough, I never made it up to the balloon fiesta. So really, is it, is it like living in New York and never going to the Statue of Liberty? Pretty much. So, (laughs) um, it's one of those things where you hear about it and people say you need to go, but you also hear that there's, you know, a million people that are going to the things. So didn't want to fight the crowd. So never made it up there. Yeah. I don't know if I, we drove up there. I don't know how I feel about driving 20 hours from Nashville to Albuquerque. So if I ever go again, it's going to be like, we're getting a flight <laughs> driving through the <laughs> desert forever through like, especially like Texas. And once you get into New Mexico, you're like, Oh my gosh, there's nothing anywhere around us. If I could fly there, if, if, if I have to drive more than three hours, I want to fly. So forget this driving bit. So. Yeah. Um, so, so it's interesting. So you said you, you're a chiropractor. And okay, one of the questions I have is just from a pure business standpoint, how does a chiropractor open up multiple clinics? Like were you more so on the practice management side or were you actually still practicing all those years? Or give me some background on that. Both. So I, I hired associates. Um, and then move them into the, the other clinic uh, that I had in the town about 30 miles yeah. away. So I had my main clinic where I, I actively practiced. Um, and then I have associate doctors that I hired to help me out so I could back up and do more of the management and uh, of the things. But I never, until I retired, I never gave up active practice. I just loved it. I loved working with the patients and, and uh, the relationships I had with them and helping them get healthier. Oh, I was about to say, which one do you did you like better, the management or the or the actual, you know, working with folks? I liked both. Um, I guess, you know, if I had to put a put a number on something, probably a little more skewed towards the the working with patients. I just I thoroughly love doing that. Yeah, that's always interesting. You know, talking to different kinds of business owners, and everybody wants to scale because scaling is essentially how you make more money. Absolutely. I mean, that's what really what it comes down to because especially in a field such as yours, you can only see so many people in a day, which means you can only get compensated for so many appointments in a day. And scale is the only way to, to make that, make that bigger. But just again, personally speaking, just to different types of business owners over the years, 
It's one of those things. And, and I'm curious on your thoughts dealing with businesses. A lot of times the thing that gets people into the work that they're in is what they enjoy or they thought they would enjoy. And then once they have to handle the actual business side of things and scale and give up control, especially with, with high, highly driven males in particular, the giving up control part is very difficult. Um, I don't know what, what, are some, that. Yeah, what, are, what are some of your thoughts on that? Like you said, you kind of hit the nail on the head is giving up control. So uh, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't be a micromanager control freak and still want to scale up. You can do it, but it, it's much more difficult and you're going to, you're going to mess things up. Um, you need to have systems. That's the key. You need systems. You need teachable, uh, systems that can be implemented, um, learned, trained, um, and then back up from that, um, and then just manage those systems, um, whether it's a location or with the employees in, a, in the digital world, wherever the case may be. But the, the systems is the key to the whole process. So why, why do you think it is so hard to give up control? Um, well, in my case, it's just, you know, you have that superior feeling because uh, I dealt with that for a few years where, you know, I, I run the show and, and all things going to, everything's going to fall apart if, if I'm not controlling every last detail. Um, and the truth is that that is just ridiculous to think that way. Um, that's just a, that's just a falsehood that uh, you have to get over. Um, uh, yeah, there's some aspects of it, you know, personality and things that, you know, people are attracted to, but uh, the reality is um, that you know you, you you don't run the universe, and so you have to you have to get over that superior attitude uh, that you know all things run through you. Um, and again, just and then understand too that if you do that and play systems, then you can grow. Um, and once you get that mentality. You know, and, and again, speaking from experience and, and where I was, once I had, once I got that realization and I got that through my coaching, you know, being coached, personally being coached, my coaches called me on it, said, quit doing that. You know, you're not the, you're not the center of the universe. You need to back off, get these system in place, train them, and then things are going to grow. And as soon as I did that, boom, uh, my business yeah. exploded. How often do you see, I, I guess the better question is how big are the businesses that you typically deal with and from just a pure size standpoint, but how often do you come across that where somebody's refusing to let go and they're just crushing it? I mean, it's actually working versus, you know, if they did create those systems and, and, and we can actually dovetail this into, it doesn't just have to be business. I mean, creating systems in your own personal life is going to help you grow in life. If you can take Absolutely. the emotion out of your day to day and think rationally, you know, a lot of good things can happen, but you know, again, that's something we can, we can piggyback off of, but again, the original question more so, you know, when, how often do you see that when you come across this in, in your, in your current life now with the coaching and the helping and, and things along those lines, especially in that customer service world? Well, it, it, I tend to work with smaller businesses, um, hundred employees or less. So, um, Cause that's, you know, obviously my businesses that didn't have that many employees. So I know that aspect of things, um, to come across a business that is absolutely crushing it. Although you can define crushing it, you know, somebody can be a control freak and then think they're crushing it <laughs> yeah. because they're not seeing the forest for the trees is what it amounts to. But, uh, really any business that is really truly crushing it and growing and expanding, you know, they, they, they don't have that control situation. So, um, th there are aspects that yeah, you have to control and that you have to stay on top of, but you also have to trust those that you've employed, um, to do their jobs, to empower them, uh, to move forward. And that's, you know, that's almost goal. Number one in the customer service realm is to develop a team atmosphere. Uh, where everybody's on the same page, where the employees feel like they are one empowered, but also feel like they're a valuable piece, valuable piece of the business um, and that their job is important and that the boss, the owner has their back um, to do their job correctly um, 
and not feel like they are going to be rap reprimanded at every turn or if they make a decision that's outside the box, so to speak. Um, and when those employees feel like they're a valuable part and they're special, they in turn can make the customers feel valuable and special. Um, and that really heightens the level of customer service in a business and then can create growth and profits exponentially. Yeah. It's so interesting what you said about creating a team atmosphere and micromanaging. Something I've been thinking about a lot, especially with, I mean, you could say the millennial generation, but millennials are also for, turning 40 this year. So the oldest <laughs> ones, and then the youngest ones are 26. Um, but more so probably once you get into whatever the next generation is called, Gen Z or whatever. I, I always forget. Um, the micromanaging aspect, they're just not going to put up with it anymore. Um, an entry level job where you're going to pay me 40 grand, I can go Uber and make that if I'm going to go Uber full time and I can have full control of my life. So I think there's going to have to be a reckoning with a lot of folks to understand like, hey, you can't be this massive jerk who's obsessive about everything because you will have zero talent working for you. I suffered through that. Um, I, I was that boss for, for several years where I micromanaged, um, you know, and I felt like my my employees were liabilities and my job was to micromanage them because they were going to mess up and I had to keep them on track constantly because all they were there to do was collect a paycheck. And uh, my one of my coaches called me on that as well. He said, listen, you you got the wrong mentality here. You need to think of your employees as assets because they're doing a whole lot more good than they are doing bad. And that just flipped the whole situation for me. Yeah, I was about to say, like, what was that? What was that hinge moment where it flipped? So obviously, you said your coach called you out on it, right. but what what was some of the the tangible shifts in mindset that that happened? And and also, what was some of the feedback from some of your employees when that actually occurred? Well, I started just focusing on what they were doing right, and then acknowledging them for it. That's the key: seeing what they're doing right, and then saying, "Hey, you know, Susie, or Hey, Johnny, or whatever the case may be, whoever it is." that was phenomenal what you just did. You know, I love the way you're doing this, you know, you're doing great over here, you know, and, and, and acknowledging it in front of their peers too, you know, not just picking one out and, you know, and putting them on a pedestal all the time, you know, you spread the wealth obviously, but when you do that and you acknowledge them in front of their peers, that's a shot of pure self-esteem for these employees. Um, and what it does is, instead of them resenting me because they think I'm just there to crack the whip on them all the time, they started respecting me as their employer. And when you acknowledge what they're doing, that reinforces that good job, that good piece of work they're doing. They want to do more of it. Um, they're happier employees. They're wanting to stay with you longer and continue in that job with you. So you don't have the turnover and they're focused on taking care of the customers like you want them to. So, um, it was just a huge momentum sh shift um, in my business when I when I finally got that straightened out in my mind. That's so interesting because <clears throat> another thing that I've just noticed in conversation with folks who are around my age with regarding their employers, you, you mentioned you want to create that team atmosphere. And I feel like that's almost a buzzword in corporate America. You're, you're not employees, you're teammates. You're, <laughs> you know, you're all these different things. And there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of lip service, at least, to that. But then at the same time, you know, one of these companies in particular, hey, your teammates, hey, we love you, but we're going to pay you 20% less than anybody else is going to pay you in, in, for the same exact job. And it's almost like, okay, your actions, are, your, your biggest action is the paycheck, by far, as an employer. <laughs> I've employed people. I know what it's like. That's your biggest action is the paycheck, period. Um, because that, that's, the, that's the, you know, uh, bilateral agreement we have here. I exchange my time and services and skills for compensation, period. And everything else goes from there. Um, so I don't even really know so much as if this is a question as much as just a commentary <laughs> that, it's, that, that it's a little frustrating just in the marketplace hearing that and talking to people, people I care about and people who are friends of mine who, who um, again, there seems to be a lot of this lip service without the actual backing on the back end. And in my personal opinion, I've always viewed business as a pie that get, gets bigger. You know, we can, I can give you a bigger slice of the pie because we can make the pie bigger. The pie doesn't have to be finite. And, and it's almost as if 
I don't know, again, in a lot of these companies, the, the pie is very finite and it's, it's, hey, let's say all the great, best and greatest things, but then we aren't going to back it up on the, on the other side. You know, a team atmosphere for me is, and I explain this to my employees, you know, and I'm a big sports fan, so I always like to use football analogies, but, you know, there's, there's the head coach and there's the star quarterback and there's, you know, the star receivers, but there's also the linemen and then there's the, the training staff and the, uh, you know, the assistant coaches, and they're all on different pay scales, you know, um, but the truly great football teams, you know, the, the, you know, love them, hate them, the Patriots of, you know, the last, not this year so much, but the previous years with Tom Brady or the Alabamas or the Clemsons, you know, everybody on the team has one focus, one goal. Um, and they're all treated as team. They all play a part in, uh, trying to achieve that, that the greater good, try to achieve the ultimate goal. Um, yeah, they may have different titles. They may have different uh, pay scale, but they're all treated as equal as part of the team. And they all have, have a piece of the, the action trying to move forward. They all play a critical part. And so that's what I tried to foster in my, in my business. Yeah. You know, this one's the office manager and yeah, you're just the, you know, the assistant that just started last week, but you know, the assistant played started last week. You are important in making these patients feel welcomed and special and getting them back to the treatment room. And uh, so it's important to understand that you have a critical role here. So it's interesting, you know, you, how long did you practice? 20 years, 20 years. Okay. And then you sold your practice and retired. Yes. Okay. So, um, I see a whole bunch of books behind you. So you're, you're a book nerd the way I am. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my wife makes me throw away books or get rid of them or send them or trade them into McKay's <laughs> or, or whatever it may be. She's like, we don't have enough room on the bookshelf. I'm like, this is my one thing. Let me, <laughs> let me have it. <laughs> That's right. I have um, a whole closet full of books. So I'm with you. Yeah. So I, I, I see, uh, the only one I can really make out is a 10 X rule right there, right behind you. You mentioned um, But so you, you, you practice, you sell out, you, you leave, you retire, and now you're, you're working again, man. What are you doing? You're supposed to be on the beach somewhere, just enjoying a, a cocktail and, and kicking your feet up and not doing anything. What's happening here? So how, how did you end up in the position that you're, that you're in talking to a guy on a podcast whose, whose name you can't probably spell? You know, I've had that question a lot. So again, I just, you know, I shouldn't use the word, word retire because that I, I just, I stopped being a active chiropractor is what I did. And I moved into being an active coach is, is what I ultimately did. But really the, the reason behind this is, um, I was fortunate enough to buy out two chiropractors in my career. So, um, I, and both the chiropractors that I bought out, um, were older chiropractors. They were in their sixties. Um, and they had basically got past their prime. Um, so they didn't have much of a business left, which was good for me as a new practitioner to buy them out. Um, but I also made a mental note that I was not going to be like that. Um, that I was not going to get past my prime and let my business die off and then try to sell it for pennies on the dollar. If I was going to retire, um, I was going to do it and sell out when I was on top. Um, and in 2017, just felt like I was led it was time. And, uh, decided, okay, let's do this. Um, and, uh, got my practice finely tuned. Uh, so the doctor who took over me was going to have a, you know, as I told him a Ferrari, here's the keys to the Ferrari. It's got systems in place. Here's what we do. This is how we do it. It works quite well. Don't veer from it. Just keep doing it. Um, and, and he took hold of it, um, and has done quite well. And he's even, even made the, the business, uh, has grown the business from what I had it um, in just the last couple of years since he's been uh, at the at the steering wheel, so to speak. That's key. There's a there's a lot of gems in that story, because if you had maintained the control freak mentality, and you were the guy, and you didn't have the systems, do you have a business or do you have a job? You have a job. Correct. A business of systems, like you said, exactly. you can't sell a job, at least not profitably. Um, whereas you can sell a business, you have to be able to get rid of this business because you're not going to live forever. Absolutely. And 
And there's a lot of folks that I've come across in my career and in my life where they are stuck in a business that they can't get rid of because they are the business. And that's probably the worst case scenario. It is. Um, it's, it's something uh, Kiyosaki talks about too. He says there's, there's business owners and then there's self-employed. And they're two very different things. And when I, when I realized that, that was a huge paradigm shift for me personally in the way I viewed business. When I realized like, oh, crap, I'm self-employed. I don't really like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, not really, that's not really the ideal. <laughs> um, sorry, were you, were you going to say something? I didn't mean no, to cut you off. No, you're good. Oh. Um, so, and you said you really revolved it around customer service. So I, I find that interesting. Because, again, I feel like customer service is, is almost a buzz term where it means a lot and means nothing at the same exact time. Absolutely. So, so what do you mean when you say customer service? And, and again, you, you're hitting the nail on the head here. You know, it's a buzz term. Many businesses champion, you know, we're, we're you know, customer first. We have customer service, but their actions always speak, speak louder in words. So customer service is a relentless focus on the customer every time they're with you, making them feel their best when they're, when they're doing business with you. That's, that's my simple definition of it. Um, and you know, when I talk to businesses, when I do presentations, you know, every, every business is going to raise their hand and say, yeah, we provide great customer service, but the statistics show otherwise businesses have pieces of great customer service. Every business does. Uh, the problem is they feel like those pieces of great customer service give them that given that false sense of security that they do provide superior customer service. Um, and the vast majority of businesses don't. In fact, the statistics are about 80% function at average to below average. And we, we all can attest to that. Every time you go out and do business with, you know, whatever, whatever business, you know, we understand that it's a rarity where you come across the business. It's like, man, these people are on top of their customer service. Um, and so, when these businesses don't see the holes, the problems, the issues that are ultimately turning customers away and cost them profits, that that's more of a delusion than a than a myth, um, in in the sense that they think they have superior customer service, um, and that's that's really what I'm trying to champion. So where where do they fail? Uh, many places, um, many many places. Um, there's so many businesses are so stuck on the sales mindset. You know, mm, it's, it's, yeah, dry, yeah. it's, it's marketing and do more sales and then forget, you know, trying to keep the customers and retaining customers. That's, that's mm. one of the biggest issues they have. Um, you know, and again, there's, there's layers to why they're not keeping those customers, but ultimately that's what I really try to teach businesses and help them understand businesses, get a customer, keep a customer and then make a profit. You got to quit thinking, just get a customer and make a profit because when you retain those customers, that's where exponential growth and profit come from. And there's a statistic that I love to use. It's from Harvard business school. They did a they did a study. And if a business will just retain 5% more of their customers, a measly 5% that can lead to 25 to 95% increase in profits. So let's improve our customer service just enough to create a 5% improvement in retention, which is always vastly more than that. But let's just, let's just bump that customer service up, change that perception for your customers that, that we're here for them and we're here to serve them. Keep 5% more of those uh, customers in the business and then let's see what happens. It's pretty remarkable. One of the issues that I could see you having when you're reaching out to folks is, again, everybody somewhat already says they have great customer service. You know, I mean, the number one rule of sales is is either identify or create a problem that you can solve. Um, so, so, but but sometimes you have to help people understand that there is a problem. You know, how do those conversations go? Well, <laughs> ask a few questions is all I have to do. How how often do you train in customer service? Oh, we we really don't do a whole lot of that. It's, you know, common questions. So, what what's your your customer service mission statement? Oh, well, we don't have that. Oh, really? Do you, you know, uh, those type of questions, it, you know, it doesn't take very long to understand how, how important customer service 
is for the business. You know, how, how much money are you spending on marketing compared compared to training and customer service? Well, we don't we don't really spend that much money on training customer service that type of thing. So uh, it, it's pretty simple to get the the wheels turning in a in a business owner manager's mind to understand. Yeah, maybe we're not maybe we're not quite quite as good on customer service as we think we are. How does that translate into Again, because a lot of the people listening are either entrepreneurs or semi-entrepreneurs or whatever it may be, or they're in, in, in some sort of leadership position when within their organization. You know, to wrap all that into a nice bow on, on both the customer service side and the control freak side of, of micromanaging things, how often have you seen those, the, the, the overbearing control freak and the lack of customer service bleed into the personal life and the, I guess, lack of family service, if you want to use different terminology, uh, and maybe a control freak there. Or, or I see in particular younger folks, younger folks in business get lost completely on the personal side of things because they almost uh, obsessively focus on the business. And I, I personally think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're, they have, they're self-employed and they, they have a job. They don't have a business because once right. you, have, again, have the systems, you can let go of things. But what have you seen? I mean, whether it's in your personal side or just working with folks, um, the pitfalls on, on, the, on the personal side with, with having some of those issues. I see a ton of that. And, and I experienced that. So when, when I was first in practice, first couple of years of practice, I was obsessed um, to the neglect of my family. And... I won't ever forget this, and hopefully listeners who are having issues with this remember this. I had an older gentleman that I, I got done adjusting, been a regular patient, and that day he got off the table after I adjusted him. He said, Doc, I need to tell you something. And he looked me dead in the eye, and he said, listen, you need to remember one thing. No man on his deathbed has ever wished he'd spent more time in the office. He said, you need to get your priorities straight. And that hit mm -hmm. me like a ton of bricks. Um, you know, and from that day forward, I had some priority changes um, that, listen, my faith's going to come first, my family's going to come second, and then a distant third is going to come this business. Um, and I started focusing that and, and working on that, on those priorities in the proper order. And that, that was, a, again, another uh, life changer for me. Um, so to answer your question, you know, it, People get so obsessed with their businesses. They're, you know, like like you said, they're working in them and focused on them to the neglect of their families. You talked about the 10x role of Grant Cardone. Another book he has is called "Be Obsessed or Be Average." Um, and you know, it seemed like you know, be obsessed with business, but you can actually be obsessed with business. You can be obsessed with being a great, you know, family person spouse, significant other, parent, you can do that too. You can be obsessed with your faith as well and be focused on that. It's just prioritizing those things and being able to, at the appropriate time, focus on them. So when I'm at the office, I'm dialed into the office or when I'm sitting from a computer with a client, I'm dialed into that. But when I'm with my family, I'm dialed into that and I'm focused on that and I'm not thinking about business. Or when I'm, you know, focusing on my faith, I'm dialed into that, taking care of that. Um, so it's, to some degree, compart compart <laughs> putting those in compartments um, and being, being focused and being present at those specific times with those specific people. Um, that, that, to me, is the key to um, making all this work and not not collapsing one for the other, not prioritizing one for the other, not destroying one for the other. Um, it's that focus and being able to, to be present with whoever you're with or whatever you're focusing on at the time. So what do you think? Well, I guess you probably know what made that gentleman that you were adjusting, what made him say that? Hey, that's a good question. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure. Um, because you know, he was a fairly frequent patient. I treated many times, um, and, you know, maybe he had a similar moment. Um, I don't know, you know, back in his work days, I, I, I should have questioned him why he's, he told me that, but, um, but, you know, and maybe he just noticed that I, you know, was, was really trying to ramp up my business and, and, that, you know, I, that really, I do not know. Um, uh, but I'm glad he, 
he stood up and looked me in the eye and you know basically slapped me in the face. So so what I mean, what were some of the immediate changes that you made? I mean, you said again that was early on in your career, so that was what the early nineties, mid nineties. Yeah, early nineties. Or, yeah, so, or early 2000s, I should say. So, early 2000s. So, yeah. so what, um, I don't know, do you have kids at the time yet? I had two at the time. I okay. have three now, but two at the time. So, so what were some of the immediate changes that you made in, in that moment? Because I know I've been there pre-marriage, if that makes sense. Sure. Ever since I've been married, I really haven't been in that state of mind. But especially... When you're in your 20s, you're a young guy in particular. I can only speak for men because that's what I am. I can't, I can't speak for anybody else's experience. Um, the amount of ego that is tied into your work and what you do um, is both unhealthy, in my opinion, and two, uh, incredibly easy to manipulate, and people know that. Absolutely. So. So there, there's almost an entire system in place to get you to be your the little worker bee, obsessing over it. But um, yeah, what were some of the immediate things that you that you plugged in after that that uh, come to Jesus moment with with that guy? Well, one of the biggest ones was stop taking work home and obsessing about it when I hmm. left the left the office. I was I was terrible at that. You know, it was go home. If I you know if I had a good day, you know, it was go home. I still thought about it, and you know what I thought was a good day, um, you know, and, and, you know, obviously it'd be better for my family if I had a good day. If I had a bad day, I was ready to find that. I would take that home, obsess on it, be distant from my family, think about it, uh, not not be the, the spouse and the and the parent I should have been. Um, and so I started, and it took me a little while to, to get it where I could just shut things off from the office and head home. Um, uh, but that, that is one of the biggest things that I had to learn to do. And that, uh, again, that was, that was quite a learning curve, but a huge benefit once I, once I got that in place. Yeah. And this is even pre iPhones and, uh, absolutely. And having, I mean, I guess you could have had a Blackberry or something, but, <laughs> but <laughs> it's not, and like I did. Your, your, yeah, it's not like your emails were just buzzing away 24 seven, the same right. way in the same capacity and the same way as they are now. Cause now you can just obsess over things. I don't know. It's slightly terrifying, quite frankly, like it's slightly terrifying that if you want to completely disconnect yourself from your personal life and only obsess over something that's measurable and tangible, cause like your success in your marriage is not really measurable via numbers per se. It's, it's not a, it's not a science in that sense. Like I, I don't get a report from my wife every quarter and be like, okay, here's where you're doing well. Here's where you're doing badly. And here's the quantification. Like, you know, it's the way you can, you can, you can uh, measure revenue or new, new customers or whatever. Uh, how good of a dad you are is again, not measurable in that same sense. Right. And, I think it's easier to run towards the things that are measurable because it's almost as if you don't have to, you don't have to come to terms with the uncomfortable parts of quite frankly, maybe you suck as a dad right now. It doesn't mean you'll do it. You'll be, you'll, you'll be, you'll be bad at it forever, but maybe at this very moment, yeah, you're not good at it. Well, the problem is you, you know, the spouse and the, you know, the kids, you, you know, you, you won't see, how good you are until later on down the road or how good you yeah. were. Unfortunately, like you said, it's hard to quantify in the immediate terms, but, um, you can see the, you can see the ramifications later on down the road where, Hmm, I didn't, uh, I didn't quite do what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, and so again, that's where, you know, for me, prioritizing things correctly was, was key. Um, and, and looking, especially with my family looking forward, you know, yeah, maybe I can't see things right now as far as in measure them right now with my family, but I know what I want my family to be like in the future. So I need to do this. You know, I need to be there for them now and take care of them and treat my wife well. You know, happy wife, happy life type situation. Um, and the, the future is a lot, a lot brighter that way, even though I can't measure it in the in immediate terms. Yeah, it's that deferred gratification. And that's it. I don't, I don't even know if it's gratification as much as it's just... Uh, deferred competent children <laughs> that's right no matter how good good of a parent you are to a three-year-old a three-year-old still not very competent um, <laughs> they're still a three-year-old 
and and you know that I, I don't know i guess that's that's one of the hard things to come to terms with on that fact um did you become like a missionary for this for this mindset though around like the people that you knew and, and your friends once that shift happened obviously you're you're coaching people to do it now and consulting them on it but at that time did you start looking at your friends and being like hey man you won't regret how much time you spend in the office when you die. <laughs> a few times we had some conversations. Uh, fortunately, I had a lot of uh, some great friends that uh, very similar mentality as far as, hey, let's prioritize things. So, um, it, you know, it was almost checks and balances and keeping each other um, in the right mind frame is what it amounts to. Um, where it did help was when I hired associates, you know, these young doctors mm. coming out of school. Um, and had the same mentality I did when I first got out of school that, you know, make millions and, you know, be focused on the business and blah, blah, and, and had some lengthy conversations and, and, uh, really spoke to those terms of, Hey, listen, let's get our priorities straight here first. Um, you won't regret it. Let's, let's get this, let's get this foundation put into place. Um, yeah, your business is important and making money important and providing for your family, but let's, you know, let's have the right priorities in place. So, um, and, and a lot of them took, took me to heart on that. And, and, uh, you know, I'm still good friends with several of them. Um, and, uh, I can see what they've done and how, how well they're doing post their time working with me. Maybe some of the stuff that I, uh, I talked about with them that, uh, stuck. How important do you think that is of, older men going to younger men or older women going to younger women or but however you want to set it up and and just that that wisdom being passed on because as society has gotten more digital and society society has gotten essentially bigger i mean we live in cities now instead of small villages that mentorship role has almost deteriorated um speak a little bit on that i mean obviously the impact towards the mentee, but also I've been told over and over the impact towards the mentor, the person sharing the wisdom with the, the, the younger person is always impactful. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mentor, mentorship is just vital. I think where we get off, um, off the rails, fall off the rails a little bit with that is, you know, from a standpoint of the, the younger generation, you know, uh, you know, the, the resistance to an authority figure, mm-hmm. um, you know, parents, uh, you know, my parents don't know nothing, you know, it's not till we get older and have kids and then like, oh, you know, my parents weren't as dumb as I thought they were type situation. Yeah. So, it, you know, to understand that, um, and also too, I, I think from a mentor, a mentor, you have to be vulnerable. You know, you can't, you can't come at somebody and, and, you know, kind of like I did with my employees and say, you know, oh, I, you know, I have all the wisdom in the world here. You know, you need to listen to me. You need to come from a sense of vulnerability and say, hey, listen, this is where I messed up, you know, and, and I don't want you to do that same thing. This this caused me a lot of trouble when I was doing this and be vulnerable and, and let them know that, you know, this this messed me up and I don't want you to do that same thing. Don't make this decision. You don't come at them as, you know, you need to do this and this because this is what I did. Um, that turns everybody off. But when they say you're vulnerable, that you messed up, that you went down the wrong road, that you suffered for it, um, that that brings a different light and a different, it, it can help the relationship is what it amounts to. Um, you know, when I grew up, you know, parents and anybody older than me were authority figures. Whatever they said was gospel. You didn't question it. Hmm. Um we just can't have that now necessarily. I mean, certain things, yeah, it has to be gospel, but, um, when you, when you have an older person say, Hey, here's where I messed up and this is where I suffered and, and lost money, lost friends, lost family, whatever the case may be, don't make the same mistake. You know, that, that sheds a whole different light on that, that relationship. Yeah. I think the vulnerability part is where you hit the nail on the head because, you know, what, what you talk about older individuals, like what they say say is being gospel back in the day. I can Google anything you say now. <laughs> and I could like give me give me twenty seconds and I'll disprove any anything you're saying if it's if it's not true. Sure. So that's thrown out the window. Like Google has ruined the, the phrase, I'll take his word for it forever. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, however, 
when when you come to somebody and say, hey, here's where I messed up or here's where it really caused me pain or here's where I found a lot of success, I can't Google that, which in itself is novel in 2020, I guess 2021 here coming up. Um, and it makes it more impactful. Well, another good thing that, you know, uh, mentorship also comes into play, you know, and this is, I speak to my clients about this on, on the coaching side is, it, it, it's so much easier to learn from somebody's mistakes than to make them yourself. <laughs> mm, yep. You know, you, yep. If, if you'll actually take that to heart, you know, it, it costs, it costs less time, frustration and money generally in the business world. And, and to some degree, the same thing in a, you know, in a relationship or in a personal life, you know, if you'll just understand and, you know, listen to somebody here, here's the mistakes I made. Here's what I did wrong and learn from that and, and try to avoid it going to save you a lot of a lot of frustration wisdom is typically not free oh. and and if you can get it for free I, I do think though it takes a long time and a lot of maturity to just come to terms with the fact that like hey i want other people's wisdom kind of back to the control freak thing i you know i dealt with that with the young associates that i had coming in they you know and uh, when i when i started coaching too i was working with some chiropractors and i i won't work with a chiropractor that was just new out of practice out of school because they didn't know enough to know what they didn't know so they they couldn't you know they're like i don't need you you know i'll take care of this over myself so working with somebody that basically it's just the, the you know somebody that is i i know everything type situation know it all you know there, there's no hope for them it, like you said it Wisdom is not free, so you have to have enough experience to have some wisdom and then understand, hey, I need some help um, and I can learn from somebody else's mistakes instead of making these mistakes and, and keep messing up the way I've been doing. So what's, uh, what's on the horizon for you in general from a business standpoint, personal standpoint? What's, what, what are the next 12 to, to 18 months look like? Um, just grow my business. Um, I, have a, I have a new book coming out uh, January 11th. Define and deliver exceptional customer service. Um, so I'm excited uh, to start promoting that uh, early in 2021. Um, simple strategies and and thoughts and actions on improving customer service. And that's the, that's the one thing that uh, the the one item I'm trying to dispel, the one myth I'm trying to dispel with businesses is it's not that hard. It's not that hard to change the culture of your business in regards to customer service. Um, and so that's, that's how I approach this from. So that's another thing I'm trying to champion. Let's not make this hard. And, but if you'll make it, if you'll commit to it, if you'll do it consistently, it can have tremendous benefits. So really pushing forward with that. Um, so I'm excited to do that and keep working with businesses. Customer service is needed. Um, like I mentioned, you know, we see it all the time. Um, and again, it's, it's, my goal is to help businesses serve better to sell more. Yeah, and that's a quote by Zig Ziglar. You probably heard it, but you know, he says, you can have everything you want in life if you'll help enough others get what they want in life. Um, so let's have that service mindset instead of that sales mindset to move forward from there. And then on a personal note, just keep, just keep improving. And really that, that's my business and my personal philosophy, my philosophy in general is you know, I, I don't want to be ripe and rotting. I want to be green and growing so I can keep learning. I can be a better, I can always be a better spouse. I can always be a better father. I can always be a better, you know, person to the church, uh, to the community, to my neighbors, whatever the case may be. How can I continue to do that? How can I continue to learn and grow and, and expand my horizons um, so I can make those around me uh, feel better, but also make them better too by, by my example. So that, that's always my goal. Just, just keep moving forward, keep improving. My best is yet to come. So, so how did the book come about? Well, I've always had, uh, the thought of writing a book, um, always wanted to do that. Um, I'd looked into it a couple of times and it was, you know, it's been on who you're working with. It can, it, can be an outstanding amount of money to <laughs> put a book oh, together. Yeah. It, it, it can run you 50 grand pretty quickly. <laughs> exactly. And that's a couple of my talk to, and, and I just, you know, I just can't do that. Um, and I hired a, a speaking coach 
last year, um, February of last year, I believe. Uh, part of what I do is presentations and those type of things. And again, part of my mentality is always to improve. And so got with him and, and uh, you know, we talked about goals and dreams and, and uh, told him I wanted to write a book. And that was that. Well, COVID hits, obviously. And about April of last year, he says, hey, listen, I'm uh, not only coaching the speaking side of things, but I've written three books. I'm going to start a publishing company. I want you to be my first client. Uh, you you want to do that? You, you know, you mentioned you want to write a book. You want to go ahead and do it? And I said, let's do it. So anyways, so April last year, or this year, actually, um, still this year, 2020, uh, started hitting it. And uh, we're almost there, almost there to, to get it launched. And it's good to have a copy. Um, it's an edible copy right now that I have. But anyways, we're, uh, like I said, launching it on, you know, we'll have paper copies, hard copies, audible copy and and the digital copy so going going full blast full forward with that what what was the hardest part about actually writing a book though for you um the actual writing i'm not a writer by nature um yeah. that's not my forte uh fortunately uh, my publishers just set it up said listen here's here's what you're going to do for 30 days you are going to write a thousand words a day so, and he, he did a spreadsheet. He goes, every day you're going to put in, how, you know, how many words you, you wrote and where you keep track of it. And, and so that was my, that was my goal for those 30 days. You know, I don't care what else I get done that day. I'm going to sit down and write my thousand words, and, you know, and at most of the time it was 1200, 1500 words, 2000 words, that type of thing. So, but at the end of 30 days I had, you know, 40,000 words written and, the content was fine. I didn't. I didn't have a problem coming up with content. It was just sitting down and putting it all together. So, anyways, that was that was much. So, forty thousand words. How much? So, the final edited version. How many words will it end up being? Uh, we had to cut out some. So, I'm thinking it's back down to about thirty thousand words. So many pages is that on them? Well, we're you know we're at like hundred and eighty pages. Wow, that's actually pretty impressive. Just knocking it out. But like that's the power of focus. Exactly. I'm just saying like, here's my one goal, 30 days, and also putting that time frame on it. I, I want people to hear that part, putting that time frame on it, not, hey, I'm going to write a book in the next two years. Your brain can't understand what two years from now looks like. But saying, hey, I've got 30 days to knock this out. Your brain's like, cool, go mode. Let's go. And that's how I work. I've been, I've been a goal guy for you know, 20 years. So then set a goal in front of me, you know, here's the steps. Okay. Let's get after it. I can see that I can do it. I can, I can measure it. Let's hit it hard. And so, yeah, that, that was certainly huge for me to be able to do this. So, cause like you said, if I would have said, oh, you know, let's, let's start the book, you know, have it done in a year. Well, I'd probably still be writing it right now. Um, yeah. But having that focus is, is huge. What, uh, when's it coming out again? January 11th. January 11th. So from when this is released, probably a week and a half. Uh, maybe a week, week and a half from when this is released. I'll make sure to put the. I'm assuming there's a there's a pre-order link on Amazon. Yes, so I can yeah, get that link I'll, to you. I'll, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes and everything. But um, we're coming up on time over here, so got to ask you the question I ask everybody um, at the end of the podcast. So, knowing all that you know about yourself at this stage of life, and then knowing all that you know in general at this stage of life. There's one piece of advice you could go back to 18 year old you and give yourself one piece of advice. What would that advice be? Hard to narrow it down to one, to be honest with you. So, uh, but the, the key to me is to get, get coaching early hmm. and understand the value of mentorship, coaching, those type of things. Um, cause I, when I got into practice, I was even resistant to, to coaching for several years before I finally decided to move forward. Cause I was, they you know, I had that mentality of, you know, I didn't know enough to know what I didn't know. So, um, going back to 18 year old, you don't resist that, you know, mm. use, use coaching, use those resources to speed along the progress and success. Um, yeah. that, that was huge for me. So I think that's one of the hard things because. A lot of times you can say, why would I pay somebody for this? Or why would I, you know, what's the point? It just sounds like a scam or it's whatever it may be. And um, let's be fair. There is a lot of scams out there. There is. There's a lot of trash out there. Just go on YouTube and see how many advertisements you get for <laughs> uh, for courses and different things. And it's like, what are you even selling me? I don't even understand what, 
Like, here's a two-minute advertisement on this awesome program, but I won't even tell you what I do. And it's like, eh, <laughs> that's the first issue. <laughs> like, we got to have some clarity around. That's what I appreciate about your approach. You're very clear about what you're coaching people around, which, you know, is, is the number one key. That <laughs> It's not a scam on oh, that front. Yeah. I hope not. And, it, you know, when, that's one of the things I learned in practice. You know, the, the better you communicate, communication is a key, obviously, but being communicating to make it clear for the patient or for the other party, that's, that's mm. really the key. So they can understand and make an informed decision and go from there. So like you said, like, you know, and, and I, I felt trapped to it where I've hired some programs and coaching over the last couple of years. And, you know, they end up, you know, being complete junk is what it amounts to. Um, you know, and I have to learn from that experience, obviously. But um, again, just communicating so people understand where you're coming from uh, and know that you're, you know, again, I, I try to come from a point of service. You know, that's what been my whole career is about, a point of service. I'm here to serve and help you um, and not have the mentality of you're here to help me make a lot of money. No, I'm here to serve you. And the byproduct is, yeah, you have to pay me for, you know, my wisdom, my knowledge and what I have, but you're going to be, you're going to get greater benefit than I do. And that's awesome. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I appreciate your conversation. Absolutely. Me too. Just a nice little early morning podcast. It's not even that early in the morning, but it's early enough. It's it's earlier than I typically do. That's right. Um, if we did it tomorrow, it would be really early. So that's true. That's true. What uh, what uh, how can people get a hold of you? Obviously, we'll have the you know link, show notes. We'll have links to website, book, etc. But if people want to get a hold of Dr. Kelly, what what do they have to do? You bet. drkellyhenry.com. It's my website. Uh, Find me there, obviously, and set up a call if you'd like. Dr. Kelly Henry on uh, Facebook and Dr. Kelly Henry on LinkedIn and Dr. Kelly Henry on Instagram. So if you can remember Dr. Kelly Henry, you can probably find me pretty much anywhere. Mm, Dr. Kelly Henry is on the, is on the gram, okay? You're going to see <laughs> stories. You're going to see all kinds of stuff. All right. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate um, the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, uh, like I said, I look forward to hopefully uh, people getting some wisdom out of it for free, even though wisdom isn't free, like we said earlier. Um, for everybody listening, manhoodpod.com. If you want to get a hold of us, info at manhoodpod.com. If you have questions, compliments, constructive criticism, keyword constructive, don't just complain. You got to offer a solution. That's the only way we will listen. Uh, but outside of that, hope you guys have a wonderful new year and we'll see you in 2021. 